It's Friday, December 3rd. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 223. We've got our senior VR field. Senior field VR? It's X. Which one goes first? It's I didn't even get to that part yet. I know, but do I say senior field or field senior correspondent? I don't know. Senior anyway, we got our XR correspondent of XRness. <laughs> There we go. We got our that XR Pro right. on the show. Welcome, Daniel. Howdy. Excited. This, this entire time, this entire time we're, we're running through this, and everyone on the show is like, okay, it's Daniel. We get it. Just move on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> get it. Get it over with. Okay. All right. Here we go. Today in tech history. Ready for this? I'm ready. The Segway. The Segway was unveiled Ooh. on December 3rd. What year? You think about the year. I'm going to give you a little bit of background here. Inventor Dean mm. Kamen unveils the Segway self-balancing battery-powered vehicle on the TV show Good Morning America. The Segway uses computers and motors in its base to keep itself upright while the user is riding it. Users shift their weight to control the Segway. While not considered a commercial success, the Segway has definitely become a familiar icon of personal transportation. And you know what? I have never ridden on one. Have you guys I never have either? Seems like Daniel I've never probably been on has. No, no, no I'm really not. Please, I really please don't say I would. I would ride a Segway, bro. Listen, <laughs> all three of us listen. never been on one. Well, I, I just it sort of seemed like a thing Daniel would do. Those of you who don't know, Daniel is sort of a guy who likes to get on things with wheels, just in general. We rollerbladed together when we were kids. You know, he drove cars and uh, he rode a bike. Probably, I just think Segways. You know, it just seems like he's. A, it's a thing he would do. But it's not. I'm going to go with 2002. Okay. I'm, I'm going 1999. Ooh. Dang. Okay. Oh, and look, we got someone else on the show. Darren, are you just listening or do you want to uh, you want to talk today? I, I can jump in too, but I, I was not paying attention. To, I just jumped on, so I, I did not yeah. catch the Today in Tech History. So go ahead. Well, caller number seven, welcome to the show, uh, Darren. We are <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about when the Segway was unveiled. It was December third. What year? We already have two thousand two and nineteen ninety nine guests. Uh, I'm going to say two thousand and one. Nailed ah. it! Ding 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 ding. Uh, really <laughs> nice. Yes. I feel like we've just been prices righted. It's like I'll, I'll Daniel's like I'll take a hundred dollars. I'll take a hundred dollar and one cent, Bob. Thank you very much. Yep, exactly. Nice work. It's 20 years old today. Nice. Boom. Oof. There you go. Boom. Uh, so the trick is, or, or I guess the next question is, have you ever ridden one, Darren? No. And honestly, I would probably fall flat on my face if I did. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like those, the, the hoverboard things. I've yes. never tried one of those. And if I were I to try it, I would probably die. So yeah, we yeah well, let me, awesome. let me just save you from that because it's exactly what I did. I tried one at a friend's house. Uh, his 12 year old daughter is, I mean, she could be in like the Olympics of hoverboarding and she made it look so easy. I was like, let me try that within half a second. I was flat on my back. It was awesome. So never doing that again. I, I will say of, of those types of devices, I have ridden a one wheel before. Oh, dude, I want to try that. Yeah, Is the one wheel is cool. Yeah, they're, they're fun awesome. and pretty. Isn't that like the opinion. most dangerous vehicle on the planet or something? <laughs> well, like anything humans go on is dangerous. So 
I feel like that's the thing that I've just seen countless videos of people just flying through the air after trying to operate one. Maybe I'm thinking of something different. Oh, yeah, I get the it's the skateboard. <laughs> yeah. It's the skateboard that has the giant wheel right in the middle of it that comes you th- know what? up it, through the board. It's one wheel. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm that's what I'm it thinking of. Wheel. That's what I'm thinking of. And it also, you know what? That makes way more sense that Daniel has ridden that. That's definitely <laughs> right. More up his alley than than even the second. Oh, okay. Is, it's so, pretty cool. So I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, for sure. It's coolness factor is way up there. All right, Chill. Um, you have passed back and forth a ton of different news articles on the TBP community channel in Telegram. Who wants to kick it off? What do you want to talk about? Well, Damn. since I'm on here as the XR person, I only have one bit of XR news, and it's not really big at all. But uh, our beloved brand Oculus uh, is going to the grave and being just rebranded as Meta Everything. So wow. it is no longer the Oculus Quest 2. It is the Meta Quest 2. Oh, no. Mm, I have a box that says Oculus Quest 2. <laughs> oh, wow. It proves well, your box is outdated. Otherwise. No, it's not. My <laughs> product came in a box that I still have. It says Oculus Quest 2, and it also says in sort of a subtitle, Daniel Platt is wrong, uh, and, uh, and that's what it is. And it even says it will be this name forever on it. Trust me. That's real. So, well, so it, you know, it's thing to me. You just like rebrand everything? So Facebook, I, everything Facebook or, or Oculus is now meta. Everything Square is now block. We just, we're just going to do this. They're, they're not going to rebrand Facebook, right? I mean, I, meta is kind of the the meta company and then they were going to have the the micro companies and facebook is micro why is an oculus micro why has it got to be meta uh, i think because it's a key anchor into the meta verse nah. nah yeah i think so whatever though. eventually well well, yeah. well you might be right about that and while that might make sense it still makes it stupid just oculus okay. is a cool name you know it is a cool name it is a very cool name yeah i, I will think, i think Oculus had kind of created you know, its own overall brand. I mean, I think when you think about VR, XR, uh, Oculus is the first thing that, that comes to mind. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree. It's, it's a little sad to see that brand going away. It's, yeah, I mean, this is what happens when uh, Zuckerberg tries to take over the world. Yeah. Zuck. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you go to Oculus.com, it doesn't even say Oculus anywhere anymore. It says MetaQuest. Quest is ready, so they're they're doubling other down. Other than the, the URL, yeah, they're just, yeah, other than the URL, right? Yeah, and yep. and the shortcut preview that says Oculus Quest Two. Yes, correct. <laughs> yes, the shortcut preview. If you Google it, <laughs> Oculus slash VR headsets. Okay, all right, interesting news. Thank you. Appreciate that. News from the are XR they going to ship the boxes? That's what I want to know. If, if I order another Sh- Quest Two box, am I am bro. I going to get a Meta? Am I going to get a Meta Quest Two box? Let's move on. Is that was going to happen. All right, boxes are important. I'll, I'll follow up in the future on on that one. Just I you. appreciate you. Very nice. Uh, um, all right, what else do we have? There was something in there around. <laughs> Excuse me. Gosh, I've got the I'm like choking. Um, there was some news around Intel that uh, looked like you threw in there, Darren. Intel locks yeah, down so, on all remaining TSMC three nanometer. Well, What's that, going on yeah, there? so 
there was an article from Tech Radar that was that was kind of posted back August timeframe um, around kind of Intel looking at locking down the additional remaining production capacity at TSMC for three nanometer process um, to ultimately box out AMD and Apple. And uh, there was a follow up article, um, not this one by by Mac Rumors, um, but ultimately, you know, Intel's looking to to do exactly that and and kind of lock down that additional production capacity for the three nanometer process simply so you know they're not competing uh as as closely i guess or i should say that they want to compete closer uh with apple and since they can't do it with their own process they're now looking to do it with tsmc and and it looks like there's been some recent meetings uh with some high level intel executives that have actually traveled to TSMC to go through that process. So just interesting. I mean, not not overly surprising for any of us that kind of follow the chip industry as a whole. Uh, Intel's obviously had their struggles and, you know, no big surprise there that, um, you know, uh, especially under Pat Gelsinger, that they're looking to kind of take advantage of what some others are already doing. So, yeah, just thought yeah. that was some interesting news. I think it's extremely interesting. For, for those who don't know, um, at least it's, 10, 12 years ago, probably, there was sort of a need for expertise around CPU architectures in the enterprise. So in, I actually, that was a role that I was in for a while where we would decide on, you know, which which platform to go with. And I would literally be drawing uh, CPU architectures on a whiteboard. So this, this topic's an incredibly interesting thing to me, as is the fabrication process, because there is a, a very distinct difference between the approach that TSMC and Intel have taken over the years. And, and Intel has maintained it, performance is not usually the issue with Intel. It's the efficiency. The efficiency has really been the major problem. For instance, AMD's newest CPUs, they've, they're have 5800X. I believe that's even the one that, that Aaron has in his computer. Phenomenal CPU. Eight cores, 16 threads, very efficient on power. Performance-wise, my 9900K from 2018 is still the same or better, even pre-overclock. And it has more headroom in that regard. So it's interesting to see they're taking this approach, but I, I'm not overly surprised. What, what I think I'm more surprised in is to not see a complaint from Apple. Because in my opinion, TSMC is as successful as they are because of Apple. That's my own personal opinion. I don't know if any numbers would back that up. But I, I believe that really with the the advent of, of taking third-party manufacturing processes, which was really the gatekeeper to this industry for many, many years, it really allowed Apple to get in and start making their own chips. And so they sort of have been mutually beneficial to each other's own success over the past, uh, I mean, Darren, maybe you can help me out here. Five six years. I don't know how long Apple's been making their chips yet. It's um, it's at least that. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, iPhone. What was it? iPhone five. I think was the first one, and that was two thousand. I want to say fourteen fifteen time frame. There you go. So maybe maybe even upwards of seven years. And so I don't know what their percentages of business from Apple to TSMC. I'm sure it's it's got to be at least a fourth. And yeah, I would I would think. Yeah, I would think Intel, or Intel. I'm sorry. I think I would think Apple would have some form of problem with it. Maybe they do, but I, it just seems like this would be, in some respects, a conflict for TSMC. But it's definitely the right move, I think, in, at least in the near term, 
for Intel, the same way they're opening up their fabs to other people, which they have not really done in the past. So they're kind of going both directions on this one. And it's an interesting move. You know, this is wild. So just pulling up this three nanometer concept saying, okay, and we understand processing, uh, you know, chip fabrication, uh, we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to look back across time. If you go back to 1971, we were making fabricating chips uh, at the, the scale of 10 micrometers. Okay. 10 micrometers. If you want to convert that to how much bigger is that than the three nanometers that we're talking about right now? 10 micrometers is 10,000 nanometers. Okay, so let's just convert that. In 1971, it was a 10,000 nanometer chip. Now it's a three nanometer chip. Jeez. You know what's well, you know what's <laughs> even more interesting about this is for a very long time, mathematically, it was believed that seven nanometer was going to be as, as uh, yeah. much as we could shrink the die. I remember that, like in the early 2000s. When, yep. When we were, because we had like just... <laughs> I'm sorry. Try not to cough. In like the early 2000s, we had just eclipsed below 100 nanometers. And people were right. like, yeah, probably the lowest we'll ever get is seven. Yep. Seven was sort of the mathematical limitations of the way we were making chips at the time. And we still largely make them the same way. I, I can't go into the specific details. I'd have to pull up some of the white papers I read 10 years ago yeah. on this. But the the thing that changed, and this is... And we had used that in to, 2018. I, we had seven. And then that's, we hit five right. in 2020. We hit, we've got three schedule on the schedule right now. And so two in 2024, it's just ridiculous. Here, here's the, here's the thing though. We changed the way we did it. Of so course. the, the way that, that we were talking about it, like Intel has been very committed to this because if they can achieve, for instance, their 10 nanometer chips that they, they, they have been able to build, but their, their yields have been horrific just awful sure. yields basically just mean it's they've been very inefficient for them to make these chips so it's been very high cost can't get a lot of them made out there and they've been so bad that you haven't seen them be built for their more high performing chips they've mostly been put in mobile until relatively recently their 10 nanometer parts were often similar or even more efficient than seven nanometer parts built on sort of this newer approach that tsmc has came up with and so if you take their architectural performance advantages and you take their, their efficiency advantages they'd get out of the 10 nanometer, a lot of people would say it's like, yeah, they got seven and they got it sooner, but they cheated. Now, the difficulty in sort of explaining what cheating means in this way is, is probably an entire episode where we need to do some pre-research on. But there was a big argument in sort of, I'll just call it the CPU community on that die shrink and what that really meant. And that is why Intel has taken so long to try and get down to seven nanometer is because they have been holistically and completely committed to working all the way through the process of what is considered to be the better way to do it, but the more difficult way to do it. And so sure. there's been some changes and that's not the only thing that we've done here, by the way, we, we started running issues with Moore's law and we used to sit all silica or all transistors horizontally on a flat, on a flat plane about six, seven, maybe eight years ago, I, I don't know the exact year, we started going vertical. We started stacking them on top of each other. And that was something that we really weren't doing for many years. And that was another thing that sort of changed the way we built CPUs for a while. So obviously, 
things change over time with the way technology is built, managed, and life cycled. Sure. But there was there's there's always been this, just like there is in any form of technology community of engineers, there's these sort of religious battles on what is the right way to do something and what is the way we're going to do something next because of certain limitations. And this has kind of been one that's ongoing. So it's interesting here to see Intel going sort of in on this different way of doing things after being the champion of what what was right. I'm using air quotes here for those who can see it. Uh you know, over, over the years, at least from my perspective as someone who I used to just be engrossed in, in CPU architectures and the way they were they were made over the years. And so it's, it's not as big of a deal these days, except for like mobile devices and kind of what Apple is doing. I think what Apple is doing is is probably the biggest shift in sort of the CPU landscape over the last at least 10 years. I mean, AMD kind of made a really big play coming back in and bringing in sort of a mesh architecture with the way they do the microprocessor design. But but even that was just them catching up. I mean, Apple has really, in my opinion, pressed this thing forward with ARM and what they've been able to squeeze out of that that has kind of changed the game in a way that we haven't seen probably since Core 2 Duo was released by Intel in the, in the late 2000s. Yeah, I mean, and it, I would also say, too, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I agree with you completely, Russ. Like, I would expect Apple's probably not too excited about this news. But at the same time, they are notoriously like secretive obviously about like their contracts and things like that that they already have so it could right. be that they've already locked down the processing that they need for that new for that three man, three nanometer production and you know that this is intel scooping up what's left over i mean who knows uh, I, I guess it's right. a wait and see at this point for all of us yeah did, did, did we uh, get any indication as the timeline of delivery of three nanometer parts 2022 next year 2022 okay so it's, yep. it's pretty quick that's what it says nice. Did you see uh, somewhat related FTC? <coughs> My goodness, I'm sorry. Let's see if I can edit some of that out. The FTC is challenging NVIDIA's deal for um, for the ARM acquisition. Uh, I did see that. I think yeah. someone There's, put it in. I think it was Daniel or someone. Oh, did someone put, drop it in yeah. there already? Yeah, they suit to block the, the U.S. chip supplier, uh, this, this landmark takeover. Uh, I don't I, think uh, anyone I, was surprised by this. No, no, no. no. Not at all. I remember being surprised that it was going to happen. <laughs> you know, hey, you know. Let me let's pause for a moment and let's let's double click on that because I like using double click because it's old and some people will forget what it means if we don't continue to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you surprised, Aaron? Specifically, why am I surprised? What that that it was going to happen? I don't know. I guess it was a big move. It was a big move. It. I don't know. I don't know. So I I think the prevailing concern that a lot of people had was that NVIDIA makes chips themselves. Mm -hmm. Albeit NVIDIA is a very large company. They've been very successful in particular in the last about 15 or so years. Yeah. Uh, They haven't done anything of note in the arm space until the Nintendo switch released. Nothing, just nothing. I mean, they just haven't been relevant. And so the the concern from competitors, uh, I understood, but was also a little strange to me. This wasn't like Intel trying to acquire AMD, which is sort of what people have sort of made this out to be. No, no, no. I can tell you, yeah, that's that's where I feel like this is they're designing problematic. Yeah, they they design and license the blueprint um, for the chips that are in, you know, almost a hundred percent of smartphones, as an example, right? right? 
Correct. And so it just seemed like such a, um, I don't know. I, I, my brain was just kind of like, can you do that? You well, know, so here's like my question. Microsoft acquired GitHub. I was like, can you, can you do that? Oh yeah. Uh, you I don't can know. Absolutely do that. No, I know. Uh, it, it, so it, here, here's my question then. Can any company in the tech sector, so I'm going to take private equity out of this. Sure. Can anyone in the tech sector acquire ARM? Well, uh, what do you mean? Sorry. Can anyone that makes technology products acquire ARM? If NVIDIA can't, can anyone else? Would That's I a be fair okay question. If somebody yeah. can, I mean, if, if yeah, it is a fair question. Um, I mean, at, anybody at the should end of the be day, able to. Right. It's not, it's not about the money side of it. It's, it's about the technology. I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, execution yeah. of the dollar amounts. That's sure, look, sure, Michael sure. Dell acquired EMC for well more money than I think anyone ever thought possible. And once he did that, we, we knew that financial engineering can lead to almost anything when you have smart people behind it, the money, not a problem, but just, just the structure of it in, I'll just say the world landscape can arm be acquired by anyone, not private equity. Uh, so, I, I, and I, I kind of alluded to this in the TBP chat earlier um, when after, right after Daniel had kind of posted this. And I think the biggest concern that, you know, I, I mean, and it, I feel the same way as I think a lot of the technology companies do is, okay, if, if a competitor technology company goes out and acquires ARM, and obviously they have competitors, you know, across the industry, will they still honor the architectural perpetual license that is right. owned by a handful of these companies that are out there. I'm looking at a Wikipedia article now. It says Apple, Applied Micro, which is now Ampere Computing, Broadcom, Cavium, which is now Marvell, Digital Equipment Corporation, Intel, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, Samsung Electronics, Fujitsu, and Nuvia are currently the owners of architectural perpetual licenses. Mm -hmm. So the question would be is whoever say say it's not nvidia say it's samsung or apple or you know whoever that goes out and acquires them will they continue to honor those architectural perpetual licenses right. that have already been granted that's the question that's, in my mind that's a, and that's, that's an easy one where that one can too. be structured that can be structurally agreed to in any form of MA. easy it wasn't wasn't that actually um part of the initial like announcement for that is it, that it absolutely has to be they, yeah oh was it it has to be, be every every M and A has current agreement reconciliation in it. Whether that means the agreement to get rid of, which is seen by an overseeing board, which is exactly what the FTC, China, the UK, anyone else would be as part of an approval process, as well as any form of continuation with any existing relationships. That is standard M and A. So that part of it, in my opinion, sort of a non sequitur. I don't I don't see that as necessarily a problem. Because you, you can build that out in the agreements to actually allow this deal to go through. This is why these deals are reviewed and they're not just sort of made. You know what I mean? There's this right. process yeah. in order to make this happen. Especially whenever you have, there are some sort of, the, the real complexities of this deal are that there are four governing bodies, meaning actual governments, that have some purview into this. There's the United mm -hmm. States, there's China, there's the UK, and the, there's one other that I, I, I forget which the one. European I know there's a Union. Yeah, the EU. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the EU the specifically. One. Yeah. And so that and is the me. real complexity here. Well, then there's, of course, <laughs> then there's Aaron Julie Associates. Just remain neutral. 
See, here's the thing, though. Here's my struggle with the with the it should just remain neutral. I think on face value, there's obvious benefit there to sort of like the human race. But if I think of the re- the realities of the world we live in, I'm trying to find the structural issues we run into. And where I really think the problem genuinely lies is not in the world of licensing out these architectures. Intel has been I mean, AMD has existed for how long? I, I don't know, a long time. Do you think they make x86? They don't. They license it from Intel. So, you know, it's that the licensing model for CPU architectures has has been a thing for a very long time. AMD started in 1969, 52 years. There you go. I didn't actually, I I was thinking kind of like 90s. So good for AMD. Um, So obviously, maybe there's things about the way Intel has worked over the years that people want to avoid. I can understand that for sure. Not not saying anything Pat's doing. I'm just saying Intel is a huge conglomerate that has dominated the industry. Maybe people want to avoid that. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to maybe talk about. But I, I haven't heard that. I've heard a lot of weird sort of conjecture about just NVIDIA owning them. It's like it's all about like NVIDIA yeah. being the company that owns them. I just haven't well, I haven't seen anything be, good come from it. It would be the largest semiconductor merger in history. After and- Dell EMC, right? No, semiconductor merger. Oh, semiconductor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. thinking technology. I don't know yeah. if there's a bigger one or not. Yeah, it's a forty billion dollar deal. Um, it's the largest. It, they actually increased it. It's it's seventy five billion now. It really? was forty billion last year. It's seventy five billion now. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so it was. It was originally forty. It's, yeah, they, it's it's, it's increased over time as they've as they've well, kind of worked through this. Anyway. It doesn't really look like it matters what we think because it looks like it's not going to happen because the FTC is blocking it. So. Well, let's let's not you know let's not bury the lead here. So they obviously FTC is is looking into it because they want to maintain ARM as the Switzerland of sort of a very right. important segment for sure. I completely just how that. I understood it, and that's why my brain was just like, can you do that? Can you can you acquire Switzerland and make them have an opinion? You you, know? you can whenever they're a company and. Sure. The the thing that's interesting here is that it, think about all of the pieces in this cog. I feel like people look at face value and they don't look at the stuff around it, which is usually more important. Sure. There is a global economic impact of this between the two biggest world powers. One is the United States. One is China. And China lays a claim, rightly or wrongly, I'm not stating my opinion on that, I'll tell you to opinion. the island of Taiwan. Which is wrong. Which is where 75% of chip manufacturing exists, and it is where TSMC is based. And with that, and with the agreements, whatever you however you want to go about doing this, no matter who owns ARM, if China does lay claim and take over Taiwan, they will lay claim to all of those businesses within side of it, and they will take them over. And so no matter what your agreements are, if you're funneling product through there, you are going to be giving your trade, your secrets, whatever else through that process to them if you don't want to. The benefit of a United States company owning them is that we already have laws in place to prevent things like this, which sure. is why we're supporting other stuff, which some of the world will dislike and some of the world will like. You know, I think we how many countries we have 160 countries represented on the podcast, half and half probably agree with that being a good or a bad thing based on what I see in the world. Sure. So that, you know, whether you fall on one side or the other, that is a huge implication to think about here is that the 
ARM and Apple, TSMC, all of the other providers out there, this is a huge implication to them on who owns the rights to ARM. And it's not about the company. It is about the country. And I guarantee you that those the, the main governing bodies outside of the FTC, which I am shocked the FTC is doing this. I really am. Like, I, I honestly, I think if we had our last uh, administration in, I think this would be a problem for that administration. Not saying good or bad, just pointing out that I think the FTC going and doing this is the biggest shock to me, not because of the logistics or the, the, the Switzerland of, of, you know, CPUs, whatever, architectures, but because of the political landscape with which this touches and between China and US. I would have thought that the United States government would have facilitated this as fast as humanly possible um, yeah. in yeah. order to try and get that IP here. Yeah, because ARM, ARM is technically based out of Britain, correct? Yeah, it's UK. Yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see their government having an issue with this, but I, I would agree with Russell that if I was the US government, I would probably be for this. And it's funny you say that. So the UK initially approved like the first terms and now they are, which, you know, of course, just like us, them approving it means there's a lot of people, it, more steps it has to go through to actually fully be approved. And they're investigating as well. I was reading a little bit into this uh, earlier. I was trying to figure out from the UK perspective what this would mean to them whenever the link was sent in the TBP community. And it was interesting that some people had this idea, I guess, via UK law, that you can do things like nationalize a company. I've never heard of this personally. I don't know if this is something that, that we do as well. This is, this is a little beyond me. But as I looked through it, it seemed like one, that is, I mean, it's a seriously no, we, we large... We try not to do that in the United States. Yeah, I would assume. I, but it seems to me like there's, there's a way to make this not necessarily run by the government, just something to where they basically make this, you know, they make ARM, which is one of the most significant UK companies probably in the last hundred years. Sure. That, you know, something that is a part of sort of the national identity and value that is the UK. Basically, they invest in it and provide shares to the public where there's like an ownership in the UK. And they obviously provide a massive value to the UK as far as their economy goes. And, and, and even candidly, as we're talking about here, world political power with the importance of ARM. So it seems to me like the UK should have, from the minute this whole thing started, said, no, you need to stay here. If another UK company wants to acquire you, then by all means. But I, I, I wouldn't think they would want to let this thing go. And I would think the FTC would definitely want it. And China, 100% does not want it to go to the US. That's, that's just my, that was what I thought of when I first thought of all this, as opposed to, I just don't care about NVIDIA buying them or not. I, I mean, NVIDIA makes really good products. And I think that they would make, I think, you know, candidly, if I, if I even think personally, Apple makes phenomenal silicone, but they're never going to give it to anyone else but their customers. Yeah. And I think NVIDIA would have the ability to build the same or better silicone for the rest of the computing environment, Linux, Windows, Chrome OS. And I think that so, was, that's the opportunity that we'll miss here. One of the things, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting. So, um, just the article from PC Gamer kind of spells out some of the things in the FTC, FTC's lawsuit, and you know the way it reads, you almost wonder: Do they understand the, the nature of this merger? Because they well, talk that about sounds the, about right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. I mean, government in general. 
Um, but yeah, the FTC's opinion is that giving NVIDIA control over both ends of the design and production pipeline would not be good for competition. Uh, the merger, the FTC, FTC's lawsuit says the merger will result in competitive harm in three global markets, high-level advanced driver assistance systems for passenger cars, DPU smartniks, and ARM-based CPUs for cloud computing service providers. Um, but then the part that really kind of makes me scratch my head is the lawsuit also alleges that the acquisition will give NVIDIA access to competitors' trade secrets which mm. they normally share with ARM in order to assist with development, testing, and support. I'm right. sorry, but if anybody actually believes that Apple is sharing any of that with <laughs> yeah, Apple right. or and anyone that for else, a second. that's not yeah. happening. Nope. Okay. No. no. Absolutely so, no way. Especially yeah. if a, especially with the holdings that China has in this company, there is right. no way they're doing that. Yeah. So I mean, my my gut feeling is is I think I think the FTC doesn't really understand the nature of the acquisition. And and to your point, Russ, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily come down on one side of this equation or the other. I would probably lean more towards it, you know, hey, I think Nvidia should be able to you know acquire ARM. But yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's it's really interesting, you know, because there's a lot of politics involved in this, and you can very clearly see that. You know, it's, it's funny so, you bring these. Yeah. Russ, oh, just on that on that point though, it's Tokyo based, not Taiwan, right? It's Japan. Which one? Arm. Arm the is based in the UK. Or the Arm is UK. Is own, yeah, Taiwan sorry, semiconductor is yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. TSMC is Taiwan. That's Taiwan. Uh what am I thinking of? Hold on. I don't know. Are like, you thinking of soft of SoftBank yeah, who I'm owns a large portion of Bank is yes, out of Japan? That's what it is. Yes, that's what they're, I'm they're, of they're private equity. Out of Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's why I was leaving private equity out because they already have an ownership, right. you know, paradigm yeah. above them. But I was thinking about um, your your last point, Zuck, which is a good one about the uh, the lawsuit alleges that the acquisition will give Nvidia secrets or whatever. Access to trade secrets. Yeah. When yeah, when I was looking into this uh, earlier, just it was it was for like ten minutes, and I was skimming things. I noticed that Apple's opinion, you know, it's funny, we talked about this with TSMC earlier, and they didn't seem to give one. There did seem to be an opinion that floated out that Apple had no concern over uh, NVIDIA acquiring ARM. The only thing they said was, was that they wouldn't go out of their way to ensure it happened. They're like, yeah, we're fine with it, but we're not going to go help them do it. So, you know, they Apple didn't seem to have any issue with the idea that... Uh, you know, that NVIDIA would make this acquisition, which to your point <laughs> means they're definitely not sharing yeah. trade secrets. Yeah, you know, I mean, because an yeah, anybody, thing. anyone who knows anything about the history between Apple and NVIDIA, it's not exactly friendly. <laughs> so the fact that Apple has no issues with this does say quite a bit about, you know, just <laughs> the nature of the acquisition as a whole. Yeah, once again, they're not going to try and help them, but they, you know, yeah, basically, absolutely. from their standpoint, they're like, yeah, we don't care. Just yeah, go do whatever it is that you're going to do. And we're going to continue being a $2 trillion company or whatever it is that we are at this point. Now, I, I guess on the other side of that, you know, there's there's other there's other types of licenses from the arm technology standpoint. And so, like, there is like the flexible access license and stuff like that, that I think Google and a few others use who license like the uh, the Cortex CPUs um, and that that entire architecture. So it would be kind of interesting to know in that particular case you know do they have to um you know do they have to share some of those details for development testing and support 
in order to ensure that, you know, they're getting everything they need um, from that license. Yeah, that's a, it's a worthwhile point. I mean, there, it's, it's also, as you mentioned that, I mean, maybe people do or don't know this. I don't know. There are other licenses that exist out there uh, for different types of CPU architectures. Um, some of which that people, there are people who don't like ARM for whatever reason, uh, many of which are in the open source community. But, you know, as being a member of the open source community, I feel like I can say this. Open source community doesn't like a lot of people. Uh, and they love the idea of RISC-V. It's R-I-S-C-V, right? Which is an right. open source uh, licensing model for uh, for CPU architectures. And so some people actually kind of want what is this the, to go through. What does the V to, stand for? Uh, I don't know what the, any of the acronym stands for, to be honest. Well, RISC is Reduced Instruction Set Computer. Uh, it's just like a more simplified basic, which is why you see it in the, in the um, mobile devices and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know Whatever. what the V stands for. Vir virtualized, well, there maybe? Was, there was news just over the last uh, like three to four months that both Apple and Google are have you know open job recs or had open job recs for RISC uh, V development. So, As they probably should. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's. I think almost every large company that creates technology products should have some form of eye on open source, and they should probably look at it, research it, contribute back mm -hmm. to it, and, and leverage it where they can. It's risk for five. You. Oh, there you yeah. go. And you were you were actually going somewhere before I uh, interrupted you. Uh, yeah, all I was going to say is that some people in that community are sort of edging the idea of they they sort of want the apocalypse of ARM to happen. The idea that you know if Nvidia were to take them over and then all of a sudden you know ARM ended up being terrible for everyone rest, around the rest of the world, which it seems like the regulators think would happen, even though that would effectively waste seventy five billion dollars. Uh, they think that that would then prompt other people to focus on the the risk five i'll just call it that project yeah and that's what it's called i didn't yeah I, I didn't know that and and then you know advance that or mature it more which you know maybe that would happen i i don't think it would uh but that's that's something that some people are sort of looking for so they're sort of hoping it's like yeah we hope that you do let it go through but we believe in all the reasons why you don't want it to go through and we're hoping those happen so that you focus on the open source project uh, which almost never pans out, but that's another another random angle to this whole ARM and NVIDIA saga. Yeah. Interesting. But tell you what I would do. If I was a private equity firm right now and, and I knew SoftBank was selling, I'd go out there and I'd try and get it for sure. So call me if anyone needs some help. I'll help. Use some of that DeFi, man. Scrounge up some that's funds. Right. Like Constitution right. Dow. <laughs> what a mess that was. <laughs> Bro, they raised like they raised over forty million dollars, and then lost the uh, lost the auction. And everyone's like, "Okay, I want my money back." And they're like, "Yeah, it doesn't really work that way." Nope. Thanks for your money. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll try to get you. it back to you, but if we do that, then it's gone with fees. And anyway, all right. What else we got? We got to wrap. We got to wrap this up. The, here yeah, we do got to wrap pretty soon. The only thing that I saw that was posted, I think maybe it came from Daniel as well, which was. Uh, New Chinese GPUs with up to 10 teraflops announced. And I'm not sure if the purpose what? on this PC Gamer article was to say that this is incredible. But all I can tell you is, is welcome to like 2016 yeah. with your 10 I, teraflop GPU. Yeah, I, I think the good <laughs> thing that comes out of this is that hopefully this frees up uh, 
more NVIDIA and AMD GPUs for the rest of the international community. And, uh, you know, I, I don't expect to see, I'm trying to remember the name of this company, in Inno Silicon. Uh, yeah, I, I don't expect to see those in, in people's PCs here in the States, uh, but hopefully it frees up the market a little bit and Chinese buyers will buy a bunch of those cards <laughs> instead of <laughs> AMD and NVIDIA ones so we can actually get some over here. Yeah, the uh, for people who are wondering uh, the 10 teraflop sort of... Uh, comment I was making that from a performance standpoint, which teraflops are used a lot. They're a horrible measure of performance, by the way, but they're used a lot. Uh, I think in 2016, a 1080, a GTX 1080 did probably eight teraflops, a 1080 Ti soon after, or a Titan did around 11. I mean, my 3080 Ti that I have does 34, 35 teraflops by comparison. I mean, the now the granted, the new consoles that are out, like uh, PS5, for instance, that's a 10, 11 teraflop console. They, you know, once again, the big numbers they try to throw around for marketing purposes. Uh, it, it's not always a true indicator of performance, but that, you know, so maybe if it's related to kind of what the most recent console release looks like, it, it is in comparison. But from a PC perspective, uh, that number's been around for, you know, at least at least five years at this yeah, point. For not, performance, yeah, for performance comparisons, they're... This company is saying that it'll be somewhere between a 6700 XT and a 6600 6, XT. Yeah, um, so sort of a mid more, range. More the entry, yeah, entry yeah. mid-level range. But I will not so, be buying one if you're uh, if you're curious. Yeah, unfortunately for <laughs> GPUs to work well, they sort of require these things called drivers. And uh, that that has a, a really big thing going for it. And your NVIDIA and your yep. AMDs are going to be much more well supported by your game developers. But, yep. you know, if you're building your custom stuff to mine some crypto, maybe uh, maybe these things make a lot of sense. I will say there was something that's interesting. These are actually five teraflop cards, and they do a dual GPU version, which is extremely 2010-ish um, of them to try and do. Uh, I guess they're not worried about frame timings. Uh, and they're just putting two five teraflop teraflop cards together. I don't know if it's a single PCB or if it's two cards stacked on top of each other with a connector, kind of like we did with SLI for a long time before we realized it was terrible. And uh, that, but there is a dual GPU card of some kind to get to this ten teraflop, which sort of tells me, you know, they got a long way to go. Much like Intel probably has a long way to go, uh, but we'll see. Well, they're I, supposed to be doing pretty I, good. Yeah, and I was actually just about to say that Intel has, has some more, I guess, kind of leaks into their upcoming uh, discrete graphics card uh, that'll be, I guess, on par with a 1650 Super, which... How are, how uh, are we saying that name, by the way? Is it Z? Which one? XE, the graphics cards? Uh, aren't, they, I, aren't, they, aren't they, like, named XE or something like I, that? I, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, a 1650 right, super yeah uh is it, it, it's entry level yeah i mean it's once again i mean they, they nvidia made the 1000 series of cards back in 2015 2016 sort of time frame and they've they've ran them for a really long time uh yeah. a lot because the 2000 series of cards that released uh probably in 2018 just wasn't very good in fact in some respects it was worse 
So the, the 3000 series, that's why they're so popular, were dramatically better than, than both of those. But those 1650s and 1660s are still selling. I looked at computers yesterday for, uh, for my boss's son. And a lot of the sort of lower end systems, the ones that were going to be around a thousand or lower, they had these, you know, 1650, 1660 supers, stuff like that in there. So if Intel's yep. making it in there, I mean, it's there's that's still a relevant area that people are buying computers right now. So pretty good yep. first stab at it. Uh, last last thing I have is Russell. Can you hold up your wrist really quick? First thing video is that the Samsung smartwatch? It is indeed. It is the uh, it is the the classic one, the one that has a little knob thing on it. Are you nice. flexing? Nice. Are you flexing when you're doing that? No, I'm just, dude, I'm just jacked, dude. I just mean, you jacked. know it. Okay. Well, just, yeah. So I, I saw today that uh, <laughs> Google is planning on creating their first in-house smartwatch that will potentially launch in 2022. Uh, people are expecting it to be called Pixel Watch TBD, I guess. Uh, and, and I guess It'll it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me. a little bit yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, Just a little I bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I don't, yeah, but what's your take? No, no. What, what's what's your take? take? We, we want to know your take because our yeah. take is basically well, whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. What's your take? Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting because you know Google's been kind of building this, uh, you know, this architecture for smartwatches for a while, but really Samsung has been the only company that was truly yeah. taking advantage of that, uh, and so it's good to see. Google kind of jumping into that thing. And, and it's kind of interesting that Samsung has so many, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, they, they've customized, no, they've customized the the Wear OS software so much for themselves that uh, I expect it to be, sub, you know, pretty noticeably different when we actually do see one coming directly from Google. Um, I'm excited about it. I wear an Apple Watch. Uh, I can't stand the app screen where you have to like scroll around everywhere. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, a little like uh, bubble group. Yeah. yeah yep. yep. So I'm, I'm excited to see more, more smartwatches cause I love wearing them. And so uh, it's, yeah. it's an interesting take and you do bring up something that I can expand on from our like 20 minute episode we did yesterday. The, uh, so yesterday I mentioned, I don't know if you knew this, Daniel. So Apple has like a 22% market share, I think is the number that we shared. Well, Wear OS had a 2% market share because Samsung has not released Wear OS watches. At least that's not what their focus has been. They've released Tizen watches that work with Android. And so this watch that I have on, the, the 4, is the, is the first major Wear OS watch that they released. And it shot, it shot the Wear OS percentage up from two to 17% market share overnight. And so, you know, that particular uh, piece anyways, that that gain there might be the reason why the Pixel Watch is even going to exist because there was kind of some thought that, that Google might kill Wear OS because it just wasn't catching on in, in any of the people who were releasing it. Uh, but they acquired Fitbit and now they're going to release a watch and uh, we'll see what it comes to. I mean, I'll check it out for sure. Uh, I like my Samsung watch a lot. So, but I, you know, I use a Pixel phone, so I'll take a look at it, see what's what when the time comes. So, you know, look for a TBP maybe review of the potential Pixel Watch next year if it happens. Nice, maybe sort of, kind of. Uh, last thing, and then let's shut it down. Uh, so, y'all know Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO of Twitter earlier this week. Uh, today, the new Twitter CEO Parag, who was the CTO, uh, is doing a major restructuring. A lot of top people are out. Um, 
the head of uh, engineering, the head of design, uh, the head of people. Um, a ton of people who used to be VPs are now listed as GMs, I guess, is what it looks like. Um, so it kind of comes down to, I'm going to steal uh, at Flyosity's joke here. Edit tweets? No. Edit Twitter? Yes. So <laughs> I got him. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's going to look entirely different. So and the there's all kinds of takes on this. One side is, well, we had a good run. You know, Twitter was a fun platform. Um, Jack's out. Everything's getting restructured. I wonder if it totally implodes. And then the other side of the spectrum is uh, this quote here. The moves are the first major sign that Twitter's new leader intends to shake up a culture that has been considered slow to innovate and mired in internal conflict. So Twitter's future is uh, hanging in the balance. Tell us here. how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's no, well, whatever. Yeah. I mean, no I, secret. I, I think, I think with every platform, you know, anytime you see, um, or I should say any company, anytime you see that shift in leadership, I think you kind of expect these things to occur. Correct. Um, and, and honestly, you know, when it comes to some of these social media platforms, you know, and, and I'm somebody, I'm the same way. I love Twitter. I probably don't engage on it quite as much as I consume from it. It honestly has become kind of a news aggregation feed for me to some degree too. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think you can I get news faster there than pretty much anywhere else. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think with all social media platforms, you know, the occasional refresh across the board, you know, including at the top level of the company probably isn't the worst thing in the world. Hint, yeah. hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Facebook. Um, would love <laughs> to see that happen. <laughs> right. Don't just Not, change your name. Do something. Yeah. So if, if anyone from Facebook is listening, can we make that happen, please? Um, <laughs> I am the Facebook CEO lookalike, so uh, I could probably shoot myself a text and see what we can do. Get it? No. Yep. No one knows that I look like Mark Zuckerberg. It may have been mentioned good. once or twice. I was just imagining Maybe. you on a stand-up paddleboard with your face uh, totally painted in sunscreen. But I was taking a sip of coffee, so I couldn't really... You know what I would like to do? You know, Zuck, if you ever listen to the podcast, which I imagine you probably get some wind of most weeks, uh, I would like to, you know, 1v1 you mid for control of meta. So, Gosh. you know, and, and I'll put up, uh, I'll put up my PC... You know, you can have it if if you win, and so let's let's go ahead and make pink that slip. happen. You know, yeah, pink we'll pink slip the PC. PC versus Meta. There you go. So let's just uh, let's go. Ahead. I'll keep the overclock on there for you. You know, that's that's a lot of value, and uh, let's just make this happen. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Speaking of uh, of listeners of Tech for Breakfast, can I do a shout out to uh, one of our big time listeners, Marquez Brownlee? I think some people here may have may have heard of him it's his birthday today so happy birthday mkbhd thanks for listening to MKBHD. yeah love that dude wait <sighs> pioneered that whole uh tech youtube space incredible he's got his own dude. podcast too so i didn't know that actually you know i think you've sent me a clip of his yeah of his podcast before before wait, he did wait for him. Is that his yes but correct. there was a he did a video of like all of the Nexus and Pixel phones or something like that. I haven't watched it, but uh, that kind of looked interesting to me as a former owner of several of those Nexus yeah. devices. So to see what, his, see what it was like. Or see really really not see what it was like. I mean, I know what they were like. I'm more interested to see what he did with the video, to be honest. Sure. So well, let's, well, let's get him on and have him talk about it. Our, our let's do it. Time. Yeah. He's a real professional. Good. He's a real professional. We sit here and we joke around and we pretend like we know what we're doing. He's a professional. 
Yeah, so maybe, maybe it wouldn't fit in, but I think I think I think we'd love to have him either way. Uh, but I think we're gonna have to shut this sucker down because yes. I gotta go pick up my lovely daughter Kate. So that's gonna do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining, especially Zook and Platinum. Thank you for joining today and and jumping in. I think this was a good one. We had some uh, some good topics that we sort of almost pre-planned. At least they were sent beforehand, and we got some some good thought out on them. But uh, tell your friends. Uh, tell your tell your family, share it around, and until next time, we'll talk to you later. See you. Adios.